Welcome back to Putting It Together, the podcast that discusses Stephen Sondheim's entire body of work chronologically, show by show, and song by song. There's this cliche saying that you've most likely heard. It goes, the more things change, the more they stay the same. This week, we'll be discussing the song America from West Side Story, and boy, does that cliche ring true. Remember that West Side Story debuted in 1957, and yet when Anita sings, Immigrant goes to America, many hellos in America, nobody knows in America, Puerto Rico's in America. I'm sorry for singing. Well, my guest Isaac Bernier-Doyle certainly rises to the challenge of talking about this song and how it might be even more relevant today than it was in the 50s. Warning... Things do get a little political later into our conversation. But before we jump into that, I do want to mention that we have a sponsor this week, and it's another podcast. Back to School Again is a podcast about people who made the decision in midlife to return to school, either to pursue a new type of career, to augment their current career, or just for the sheer challenge of learning something new. It chronicles the personal journey of host Katrina Ingram, who is back in school after more than two decades away. It features conversations with a wide range of midlife learners who are currently enrolled in post-secondary studies or have recently completed a post-secondary degree. The podcast shares their stories, what brought them to this moment, how they balance the responsibilities of school, work, and family, and where they hope their educational pursuits will take them. The podcast is available now in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and most other podcatchers. You can also find the episodes and the show notes at backtoschoolagain.ca. Back to School Again is presented by Norquest College and is an affiliated member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Find it and other affiliates at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Putting It Together is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. The Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This week, I'd like to highlight the podcast, I Have Some Notes. This has Greg Beaver, Colin McIntyre, and Scott C. Bourgeois punch up mediocre Hollywood movies one podcast at a time. They certainly have a lot of material to draw from. You can find it and all the great shows at albertapodcastnetwork.com. As I stated already, Isaac Bernier-Doyle proved to be a great guest to talk about America, as well as the song America from West Side Story. I believe the kids say, Bazinga. I want to tell you how we met, but it'll ruin the surprise at the end. However, Isaac, along with his friend Declan, is the co-host of the podcast That's a Shame, which, in perfect dry British wit, is described this way. Bronze award-winning, British nobodies, Isaac and Declan sit around and talk about anything and everything, which is an absolute shame. If this is your first time listening to the show, something you should know is that we use three productions of West Side Story to frame our discussions. The first being the original Broadway cast recording, the second being the movie version, and the last being the Broadway revival from 2009. You can listen to any or all of these on any streaming service that I looked at. Also, I'm utilizing the essential book that Sondheim wrote called Finishing the Hat. It's part memoir and part lyric deep dive. So let's listen to a snippet from America, and then we'll go right into my conversation with Isaac about America from West Side Story. If there's a road you can drive on, I'll give my cousins a free ride. How you get all of them inside. All right, Isaac Bernier-Doyle, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you very much. Very excited to be here. 
Oh, thank you. I mean, you are the co-host of the podcast, That's a Shame. But I think maybe where we should start is maybe you just describing yourself a little bit. Who are you? Sure. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a complicated guy, Kyle. <laughs> I guess to sum it up, I, I do a bunch of stuff here in London. Primarily of interest to this would be that I've worked in musical theatre and acting and, and adjacent roles for the last few years. I did a show uh, called Assisted Suicide the Musical that opened at one of the largest venues in London for which I was like a lead role, which was exciting. And so I've always been kind of around the acting sphere. And it was through through that that my sometime love has kind of developed over the years. So that's amongst other things. I do some acting, some musical theatre stuff, some teaching and, and things like that. Oh, that's really, really uh, awesome. I mean, so yeah. as an actor here then, because I get to talk to so few of them, what is it about Sondheim that attracts you so much? Um, it is the fact that he understands that he's writing for someone with their own brain and their own thoughts and experiences and that he writes so much into a lyric and a song when he's doing both, as is not the case here. But when he is doing doing the two, he manages to combine such a depth of character that there's really an endless amount that you can kind of mine out of a single phrase. It's a bit of a common trope, I guess, that lots of actors refer to sometimes as the actor's composer because mm-hmm. he, he just, all of it's there, but there's so much to explore on a kind of journey to understand what's going on. Whether it's like a little baseline that suggests some foreshadowing that's not going to come into relevance until like act two or it's a lyric that has so many different meanings that you have to kind of play them all at once or decide which one is going to be you know subtext and which one's going to be foreground there's just it's it's far richer i think than anything else i've i've come across i did the the baker and into the woods production here and that was a role that at first blush seems like given the kind of fairy tale setting you there's only a certain amount of depth you expect and dimensionality from characters like that but the baker and his wife are just two normal people thrown into a mad situation and it gives you so much room to explore that i don't see in in really anyone else's work yeah that's uh that's a show that's near and dear to my heart i like it a whole mm. lot talking about that is there a show that you like above all others is there a sign oh, show that you like the most the sure sure is and it's it's quite a classic one to be someone's favorite, but it's Sunday in the park with mm. George. The first time I saw that, I watched, I kind of got into Sondheim very quickly, which is not to say it was a long time ago, but as soon as I found anything, I had to find all of it all at once. So I must have been binging like two or three shows and albums a week for a while. <laughs> and when I got onto the Mandy Patinkin, Bernadette Peters Sunday version, which I you know more or less legally located online i was just floored by it i was remember like sitting in the room of my parents house that i was living in then just in the dark at like 4 a.m just staring at this like the end credits go by it was it was quite a changing moment i think yeah, it's going to be you? well. It's going to be many months before we get to Sunday in the Park with George. Mm. I, however, I was just going to say before before answering your question that the song that I go to the most though from Sondheim is "Move On" mm. from that show specifically. Oh, Sometimes it's yeah. just good to be remindful of 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 that song and the message that it's trying to to give yeah. to people. Uh, I kind of go back and forth. I mean, my my quick answer is usually "Into the Woods" for mm. many different reasons. I think that they're is a lot of stuff going on in that show 
And yep. I think there's a lot of cool themes to pull out from there. It was also my first Sondheim show I saw on stage, which is oh, pretty... Oh, that's cool. I've not seen it on stage. Mm. It, it, it honestly blew my mind as a teenager at that point going to the Edmonton Theater that it, that it was in and being like, what is going on? Why? why <laughs> I've never <laughs> seen something like this before. There's that one for, for sure. The... The other one that I, I tend to throw on just because I like listening to it from start to finish is Sweeney Todd. Uh, oh, yeah. But that's, that was my first. Yeah. Which is also the kind of the more gruesomer one, I suppose, is to be like sitting back and like, we're going to listen to this serial killer sing for yeah. a bit. <laughs> it's a great sing along in a car, like on a little drive, and you find out that you're just chanting along to the murder of some unsuspecting barber guest that's it's right good, good times and you stop by and have a bit of pie it'll be great it's really yeah fun. it's lovely it's what it's like in london anywhere i can confirm that's right so it's really documentary <laughs> at this point <laughs> uh well today we're going to be talking about sondheim's very first produced work which is west side story and as we've been discussing on the show up until this point what's What's interesting about this specifically is that, yes, Sondheim is only writing the lyrics to this show, which we would learn later on that he would be writing the music and lyrics at the same time. But also, because it is his first show, there was a lot of collaboration that he needed to do. Some positive collaboration and some negative uh, collaboration, if you do read his book about this show specifically. We are going to be talking about the song America, which is normally the sixth song in, in the show. And is primarily, depending on the version, sung by the character Anita, who I always like to point out for the three different shows that we are kind of profiling here is from the original Broadway cast was played by Cheetah Rivera, from the movie was played by Rita Moreno, and then the 2009 Broadway revival was played by Karen Olivo. In some versions, Bernardo is actually the other character who is responding back to her, which in the original Broadway cast is Ken Leroy. In the movie, it's played by George Kiris and was also sung by him, and the 2009 revival was played by George Akram. This is basically right after the song Tonight. So we've had... Maria and Tony kind of meet up at that fire escape and they profess their love to one another. And meanwhile, we have Anita and in the stage version, this character called Rosalia. Uh, and the other shark girls are discussing the differences between the territory of Puerto Rico and the mainland United States of America, with Anita defending America with Rosalia yearning for Puerto Rico. So that's where we're starting from. I just want to start this conversation by saying this, is that this Rosalia character is something that was is, is invented for the stage version. She does not really appear at all in the movie version of this because mm-hmm. they needed to have a foil for, for Anita to sing back and forth with. I'm going to throw a question out to you before we go through these lyrics. How, do you think that works? Do you think that just having this made-up character in this one song show up, does that work on the stage? I think... I think it's it's not that it works or doesn't, it's just that it doesn't work as well as it could. And I think once you've heard, as, as we'll come to, once you've experienced the other version, the movie version, which I, I think has been done on stage since, but probably not in a properly like licensed performance, mm-hmm. um, I think there's no going back from that because it just fits and it allows their relationship to develop, which the libretto doesn't have a lot of time for otherwise. I think... Yeah, Rosalia, she gets some good lines and it's funnier, but I just, I don't feel the bite of it in the same way. Yeah, um, and I'm going to basically do a hard agree with you on, on that one too. Sondheim writes actually in his book about how this came to be, is that 
the the movie version of of this song because they are same melody but do have different lyrics and have different characters singing back and forth. So on the stage version, we have this character, Rosalia, and we have Anita singing back and forth. And in the movie version, it's Bernardo and Anita singing back and forth, kind of undercutting each other. And originally, Sondheim had written the movie version for the stage version. And then there were some disagreements with the creators about, uh, about that. Specifically, Jerome Robbins, really, really just wanted to have a number where he could show the girls dancing. He wanted an all-girls dance number in the show. And so <laughs> he ended up winning the argument about, we're just going to keep it to the girls. We'll just invent this character for this one song to play off of one another and go from there. So Sondheim was essentially forced to kind of change and alter the lyrics a little bit so it fit this yeah. new character that was coming in. It's worth remembering that Sondheim is about 12 years old at this point in his career. <laughs> and these are all just yeah. established huge legendary figures in in broadway mm -hmm. so i guess he had to pick his battles quite carefully yeah i mean you have leonard bernstein arthur lawrence jerome robbins these are like three huge heavy hitters with this like Scary. 22 year old or i actually forget mm -hmm. how old he was now at this point I think but 22 when they started yeah like early 20s i mean that has to have been something that was was gnawing at him a little bit he's this new guy new kid coming yeah. up on there trying to trying to prove his worth sort of thing uh, but he he writes in the book how he prefers the movie version more because it's it's a it's a better display of character which he's always about right you have Bernardo mm -hmm. and Anita now kind of fighting over one another instead of Anita kind of coming off as this smart ass character in in the stage version of it yeah because it kind of comes out of nowhere with her character in the stage version she's never she's kind of sassy and can hold her own but she's never just takes a whole three minutes to put someone down, which <laughs> right, right, right. It always feels a little forced, I think. Uh, well, let's jump into it here then. So we're going to start with the stage version first, and then we'll, we'll talk about how the movie version is a little bit different. But we have the character Rosalia kind of start up the song. By the way, as I, as I mentioned to every guest as we launch into this, I am no singer, so I'll be speaking these lyrics <laughs> to, to make it so that people's ears don't bleed. So <laughs> Rosalie Maybe we can auto tune afterwards. That, that's right. I'll be like the T pain of Sondheim. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Oh, that's a crossover that the world needs <laughs> sooner rather than later. Yeah, T pain singing uh, "I Feel Pretty." It's uh, the new God, number one hit. That's 2019 already <laughs> planned. <laughs> uh, so Ro Rosalia starts Puerto Rico, you lovely island, island of tropical breezes. Always the pineapples growing, always the coffee blossoms blowing, and then Anita fires back. Puerto Rico, you ugly island, island of tropic diseases, always the hurricanes blowing, always the population growing, and the money owing, and the babies crying, and the bullets flying. I like the island Manhattan. Smoke on your pipe and put that in. So that's the first interchange that we have here, of course, uh -huh. Rosalia mentioning how much she loves Puerto Rico, how she wishes she could go back, and either being like, why would you want to go back in the first place? Uh, throwing it to you, is there any call-outs or any things that you want to pick out from, from what has just been stated? There's a lot going on, for sure. There's a few musical things that I think are nice. Sure. I, I know we don't have the track, but listeners at home can enjoy listening to like the little flute part in mm -hmm. the OBC version around tropical breezes that kind of suggests a tropical breeze. And then there's some later on the same kind of thing going on uh, when they talk about that an exotic bird sound comes across, which is nice. So there's that kind of musical thing. I think as well, the just stay on the music briefly. The way that the whole 
phrase emerges from this really kind of dreamy that like up and down figure that the mm-hmm. that the orchestra are doing it just has such a a quality of longing that is it just captures it so precisely i think that the lyric continues absolutely then yeah in terms of the lyric itself we have such great contrasts between the two the two girls what they're saying and stuff like i guess we should talk about at the beginning sondheim uh i think he said on record that he'd at this point in his life never met someone from puerto rico (laughs) right and was kind of tasked with capturing a fairly specific um ethnic voice that represents a kind of tension in an immigrant community and he's talked about how that was kind of uncomfortable and obviously today i think it would not happen that a white guy was was given that job particularly but saying that um as someone like my dad is an immigrant to to the uk and english is his second language and the line smoke on your pipe and put that in is just great like it just captures that non-native speech so so perfectly i think yeah i really um, wanted to, friends, i really wanted sorry. to point yeah i'm sorry i was just gonna say i really love that line specifically yeah. because there's times in in lyric writing and in broadway that i feel that the lyricist really takes pains of like messing up the way someone would say something uh-huh. just so they can get that rhyme that they're looking for but yeah. in this case i think it works really really well if it is kind of that english is a second language they've come over here they they understand the idiom and they're using it properly they've just yeah. inverted the way that they usually say it and i think yeah, it works exactly. beautifully in that way i was going to say it reminds me of a french relative of mine who sort of bastardizes the idiom to say that's not my piece of cake instead of that's not my cup of tea she changes (laughs) whatever the noun is at the end depending on the day but it's i think i mean i'm not from puerto rico either but it seems to me that he has done a kind of good job of straddling a difficult cultural line between demonstrating that the people singing are not native speakers of english without it being that kind of hideously patronizing um you know like south park parody right he does a good job of just just getting a few verbs wrong like the money owing for example the inability to conjugate a verb like that is is totally understandable to anyone who's ever tried to speak in anything but their first language but it's not it's not commenting on an inability it's kind of inclusive it feels to me at least Mm mm-hmm yeah, I believe it was Leonard Bernstein who had just taken a trip to Puerto Rico for the first time. So when he came back, he really wanted to have the feel of that music being portrayed mm-hmm. in this song specifically. So he tasked Sondheim with with kind of capturing that mood, which uh, which I think they do f- fairly well here. A couple things that you've said here already, though, that, that I love, something that I hadn't even th- thought about was you're right in that at the beginning of this song, it really does feel like you're coming out of a dream. There's like mm-hmm. the kind of the chimes and the and, and the instrumentation that they're using there in that case. So it feels like, oh man, like Puerto Rico is this amazing dreamlike place. And then Anita kind of jumps in there and is like, no, <laughs> this is the reality yeah. of what this this place actually is. There's a really clever musical thing that kind of snaps you out of it. Because we have all that lovely like legato phrasing mm-hmm. for the beginning. And then as soon as we get to the negatives, it's that really erratic staccato part that's like the do-do-do-do-do-do-do after each of those lines to kind of just punctuate how how it's it's kind of pulling you out of the reverie quite starkly 
And of course, there's the the similarity between the two phrases, right? We have like, it's mm-hmm. an island of tropical breezes. And then Anita says, it's an island of tropic diseases. So I love how they use tropic and tropical both correctly to mean two mm-hmm. different things. I think it's it's a great way that they use that. I also want to point out, because I always feel this is a very Sondheim thing when characters start to list things, which is that they almost always go like one more than you think they're going to go go with. <laughs> yes. uh, it, uh, it very much reminds me, if you're familiar with the show Follies, which mm-hmm. is The Girls Upstairs, that that song, <laughs> there's a character goes like, uh, he says, and on, and on, and on. And then there's like a pause. And on. There's <laughs> that do, fourth do, 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 do. And then yeah. it starts going on with the rest of the songs. Like normally it would just be the three times probably, but Sonam always uh-huh. likes to go over that fourth one just just be uh, just because he's him. And same thing here. <laughs> like we have the population growing and the money owing and the babies crying and the bullets flying. Like I mean, yeah. he keep he keeps kind of going on and adding that that up and mm-hmm. be like, no, there's a lot of stuff here <laughs> that, that yeah, this character really at least does up. not like. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very true. It's um it adds as well to the kind of rhythmic tension between the it's an odd meter isn't it this song mm-hmm. um and i think lyrics like sometime has a propensity to write that play with our expectations of either an under or overextended line it just adds to that sense of like a, a it's not so much an uncertainty but uh frenetic in this case um and pleasant instability in in the whole piece absolutely so then we start getting into this kind of like call and response that happens throughout the rest of the song. And as Sonheim says, this is essentially a setup and punchline that happens more and more and more. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's one idea that's done six or seven different times. But so Anita sets it up and says, uh, I like to be in America. Okay by me in America. Everything free in America for a small fee in America. So really <laughs> punching home. And I'm, I'm very curious. I mean, I don't. I'm, of course, not this huge historian of, of what Broadway was like in the 1950s, necessarily. I know that uh, Oscars and Hammerstein and stuff was, was going strong in, at that point, And they mm-hmm. had definitely changed musical theater with, like, Oklahoma and, and some of the productions that they had put on. I don't know how much they would have been challenged directly to think, like, hey, like, maybe this uh, capitalism is not the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, it's yeah, subtle. I don't know if anyone out. sitting there in Socialist. the audience would be like, like, oh, yes, like, down with capitalism but it's definitely a subtext that's going on here yeah absolutely i think that it doesn't pull many punches politically which is kind of unusual for what was what it 1950 57 or something Correct, like 57 that. yeah um some of the lyrics could be kind of transposed onto a modern critique about an america in musical form and they would still hold water which is kind of tragic really right. but my understanding is that, um, I can't remember where, I went to see sometime speak at the National Theatre here and he talked oh, wow. about West Side Story quite a lot. This was a couple of years ago. So I think I'm right in saying that he recounted the premiere of the show as people being quite kind of confused for <laughs> quite a long time until this song kind of reset their expectations because it just it just comes out of, of nowhere and it comes out hitting. And I think based on the fact that Bernstein had just done a really prolific opera, everyone was kind of in in that mood, perhaps. They were expecting something that was self-consciously operatic. And then when you get this kind of naturalistic, um, quite incisive political dialogue and, and sung 
uh, lyric. I think it had that effect of like jarring you out of what you're expecting of some some classical kind of opera mm-hmm. puts you in the right mood for the rest of the show. Well, this is also like the first essentially comedy song of the piece. We've, we've mm. been introduced to the Jets and the Sharks. We've seen Tony think like something's coming, uh, sings to Maria, of course, like knowing this name, the Tonight song where they profess their love. Like all of these have been uh, nothing specifically comedic about them. And this one, yeah. while there is definitely a point to it and an undercurtain of uh, of bitiness and stuff that's going on with it. It is meant to be funny. You're supposed to be laughing yeah. at what these people are singing back and forth to each other. Absolutely. And they're good jokes as well. I, w- I would not envy the task of having that many bars to fill with call and response jokes. Like yeah, it, right. it doesn't seem like the most fun task to be given, mm-hmm. especially for someone who didn't strictly want to be doing just the lyrics anyway. Right. But he, yeah, he makes a good, good go at it. As we'll see here in the very next lyric, Sondheim does write in this book as well about how he somewhat cheated because because he was tasked with doing this call and response so many times throughout the song. He basically really leans on a character singing San Juan <laughs> so, that <he> can <laughs> ri- so that he can rhyme with it a few different yeah. times. So That's fair enough. I'd do, we'd do the yeah. same, I'm sure. <laughs> so Rosalia sings, uh, I like the city of San Juan. Anita cuts in, I know a boat you can get on. And then Rosalia begins again, hundreds of flowers in full bloom. And Anita says, hundreds of people in each room. So I, I think that this song works the best if if you really understand the fact that I think Anita is very, very committed to family. And, and that she mm-hmm. is uh, supportive of, of her family and wants the best for them. But understands that they kind of need to do that here. That Puerto Rico no longer can be the place that they can go back to and expect that to happen. So she's constantly like <laughs> undercutting what they're saying. Um, and not, tr- not trying to be like a total a jerk to the people. But, but yeah. still it's like no. Like we have to be realistic about this. Yeah, that's what's interesting, isn't it? Because it's not a song about, well, it is a song about culture clash, I guess, but it's kind of internal to a culture, showing mm-hmm. that there are, there's a real nuance to Anita's argument, at least. She's not saying it's perfect by any means, and she you know, acknowledges and is the victim of exactly the same prejudices that Bernardo will sing about when we look at right. their version. Um, but yeah, she's pragmatic, and she understands that the potential is there, even if it's not where it could be at the moment. Uh, she goes on, which I think is like the weirdest lyric in this stage version, because essentially Anita right. is now uh, bringing up the greatness of automobiles in 1957. So <laughs> Anita says, automobile in America, chromium steel in America, wire spoke wheel in America, very big deal in America. <laughs> so, <laughs> is, aren't cars great? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Who knows? I suppose um, an, an across-the-pond view mm-hmm. is that you watch a lot of, like, 50s movies and that kind of musical movie from the from the age, and big cars yeah. are kind of synonymous with Hollywood depictions of America. So perhaps it's that kind of playing into the, the kind of rugged individualist sense that the, the wealth is out there to be taken. We too could be driving in these giant cars one day. Yeah. So the outward expression of, of richness, of, of being wealthy, mm. is available here. Yeah. Well, Rosalia fights back and tries to say, I'll drive a Buick through San Juan. And Anita says, 
if there's a road you can drive on. Which is <laughs> a great, great joke. It's just very yeah, cutting, isn't it? She goes do some do a type five of stand up somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rosalia says, "I'll give my cousins a free ride." Anita says, "How you get all of them inside?" Uh, that's uh, that's how that goes before they do like a little bit of a musical break and dance number. <laughs> Definitely, what I what I appreciate about this song is that yes, Anita has like a response for every single thing that is is thrown at her but whether she is meaning to be funny or not i think that it definitely works and definitely in the original broadway cast with like cheetah rivera who's like Mm -hmm. broadway royalty at this point and then especially with rita marino in the movie version like they're able to deliver these lines just so effectively that every time i listen to them i I chuckle because like man you nailed that line 100 percent. i mean it's a great it must be a great song to do as an actor to just get you're just dishing them out over and over again and then you get to show how great you are at dancing so it really has everything i think too like going back to something you mentioned here previously it's one thing to have uh, a couple of white guys write the music and lyrics to this i think it would have been Mm -hmm. very different had it not been uh people at least with like spanish culture or something like that singing it yes because when you have have yeah i think if they had had for instance like if they had Officer Krupke or someone like being the call and response back to this. Yeah, that's where it gets like, oh boy, this is getting <laughs> uh, uncomfortable. Uh, at least to a modern audience, yeah. Yeah, they kind of buy the ability to to point out some of the characters' perceived flaws with Puerto Rico by having it an inter-community discussion, intro, I suppose. But like you say, yeah, you wouldn't be able to put those lines into anyone else's mouth in the mm-hmm. piece without it being quite obliquely offensive <laughs> problematic as they might say nowadays yes exactly so then anita goes on after this dance break and there is a bit of a cutting remark here i think about america specifically and talking about stuff that is still very current in today's politics this is mm-hmm. one of them so immigrant goes to america many hellos in america nobody knows in america puerto rico's in america what a line. Uh, which is such a great line because yeah. it's so true. Even with the, the recent hurricane that happened last year where there was mm. these debates about whether America should help out Puerto Rico in the rebuilding efforts. And it's like, well, it's, it is an American territory. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, it, it couldn't really be more relevant than it still is, unfortunately. Yeah. What I like about that is that um, you have no expectation of the end of that little phrase being quite so mm-hmm. cutting and... Uh, yeah, it, it stings, that last bit, as it should, absolutely. But there was a thing I saw on Colbert last mm-hmm. year, which was around the time of Hurricane Maria, where Bill Murray, who knew, put out this weird classical sort of ethereal album and was right, on promoting right. it. And he sung a bit of uh, I Feel Pretty and then segued very quickly into that little phrase, b- responding to, um, I think it was like days after or just before, Trump was there throwing paper towels at the crowds and pretending right, that he, right. he gave a fuck, basically. So, yeah, it's it's kind of oddly poignant. We can't expect that Sondheim yeah. would have known quite how few people still consider Puerto Ricans to be first-class American citizens by the by the looks of it with the current yeah. administration. It's, it's, it's really, <laughs> well, darkly humorous and, and fascinating that it's still so so resonant now today yeah I, I will also say just as an aside uh, talking about like the 2009 re- revival on broadway which was helped to be scored by lin-manuel miranda uh-huh. 
So he helped out like convert some of the songs into Spanish for the characters to sing. But he also brought out a charity song when that hurricane went through and utilized America and the song Maria both because it was mm. the hurricane named Maria and he was able to use the song America in that song as well and the kind of this little mashup that he did, which That's is like cool. Man, you can use this song that is over 60 years old at this point, and it still is relevant to, to what's yeah. going on today. Unfortunately so. Unfortunately so in many cases. So Rosalia continues, when I will go back to San Juan, Anita says, when will you shut up and get gone? <laughs> She's had enough at this She's point. Had, it's like, okay, like, <laughs> She's lost her temper. She's like, this, is, look, this song's been going on. I have a feeling that that's also part of song time in that. It's like, let's finish this song. Let's, let's yeah. go. <laughs> it's uh, kind of meta text. <laughs> Rosalie like says, it. I'll give them a new washing machine. And Anita says, what will they have there to keep clean? <laughs> and then to finish it off, uh, Anita continues on. I like the shores of America. Comfort is yours in America. Knobs on your doors in America. Wall-to-wall floors in America. Wall-to-wall floors is such a brilliant image. That is <laughs> yeah. a really underrated bit of genius the the amount of like comedy in so few words is mm-hmm. just great it's only sometime because I'm, I'm imagining what they're what they're talking about here is uh essentially like dirty floors correct is that is that the yeah or i mean you could read it as just floors that kind of are cracked and disintegrated right. and not quite attaching everywhere but i think uh, for me uh, my interpretation of it, is it that of it rather is that anita is kind of taking the piss at this point and this is just like it's such a stark image that's kind of inherently absurd a wall-to-wall floor it's just yeah, yeah. such a great ability to look at something as commonplace and and to have that kind of angle on it to make it work in the context it's it's really good i bet he was very pleased when he came up with that <laughs> I, I often wonder about that about lyrics that i like love like, mm. it's like oh that's such a great turn a phrase or something i want to know how smug they were <laughs> oh, God. after they wrote like I mean, mm, for half a day i was like that's amazing i, I came up yeah. with that <laughs> if he didn't take months off after writing you know moments in the woods with all right. those all those woods and, and coulds then i mean the man deserves a break i'd i'd be <laughs> booking right. a holiday after each phrase i think <laughs> that's right um, so the last four lines here, Rosalia says, I'll bring a TV to San Juan. Anita says, if there's a current to turn on, Rosalia, Rosalia says, everyone there will give big cheer. Anita finishes off. Everyone there will have moved here. Uh, and that's how the song ends is basically like, listen, America is still the land of opportunity. This is where our family is. We can't keep mm-hmm. thinking about the past. Let's keep basically moving on with, with our lives. Uh, yeah. any other big call outs for, for that song? Just on the the last thing, it's another bit of unfortunate resonance with the modern situation that mm. there's still, to my knowledge, people without stable power after Hurricane Maria. Yeah, uh, they still haven't like worked out the death toll. The the government estimated it was something like sixty people, whereas Harvard academics said, well, no, it's between like eight hundred and eight thousand. We yeah. just don't know yet. We can't measure this amount of devastation. Um, Which is a pretty big swing when you think about it. It, <laughs> it is a huge, uh, quite a margin for error, but I guess that's you know a, a comment on a lack of infrastructure or a lack of spending, particularly. I think one one final thing. I'll, I'll jump off the political angle momentarily. It was around the time of, I think it was probably around the start of the year that the Trump administration decided to deny congressionally approved treasury loans to help with the the clear up and the kind of 
resolution to the situation. So Puerto Rico is, is still, as far as I know, having to look for private equity loans to just keep the, the whole place going, basically, to keep the lights on, which is a mad situation to be in in the richest country on Earth. Yeah, that's, it, is, it is kind of crazy to think about. It's, it's very, very odd. I'm interested to see what what the response is going to be because one of the things that has been announced while doing the production of this show is that mm. West Side Story is going to be returning to Broadway in, yeah. in, in 2020, which is directed, and I'm, I, I'm going to really butcher this person's name because <laughs> I'm not exactly 100% familiar with his work, but Ivo Van Hove, I think. Yeah, is... that's him. He does a lot of stuff at the National here in Oh, does in he? London. Okay. Um, an odd choice for West Side Story, definitely. Yeah. I think he's kind of known. I haven't seen a whole ton of his stuff, but from what I understand, he's quite um, into alternative stagings and playing with things like place, like settings that are more abstract than they they would appear to be. He did a version of uh, Hedda Gabler recently mm. that was apparently amazing, featured a lot of like giant blood bags exploding at various points so it will be i'm I'm really envious of the fact that it's on broadway hopefully yeah. it transfers yeah it, sh- it should be interesting to see and i'm imagining that you know now that we're in the 20 uh, teens i guess in the 2020s here very soon that there's probably gonna be probably a lean into the violence that can happen in the show that they would not mm. have been able to do in in the 50s and really haven't done in any other revivals and this is the first time that they're going to be changing the choreography as well. So that's that's interesting. That's going to be a very interesting production because it's uh, so iconic. The choreography. Oh you yeah. You can do that sort of low lowering your knees and clicking, and everyone knows the reference immediately. Oh, no, that's true. It's also so one of the things that. too, like it, it the, why this is so kind of somewhat revolutionary for them to be doing that is that having talked to theater directors and actors that have, that have worked in the industry a lot is that mm. when you put on a production of an already produced work, like you do not change a line, you do not change yeah. a note, you do not change a dance move. Like all of that is like, here's the packet we're giving to you and you need to do it exactly <laughs> the way that they're, we're telling you to yeah, do it. Yeah, they're outlandishly strict about stuff like that. Even at, when I was at university, most of the... Um, plays that you license to put on, even in a kind of amateur setting, are all owned by one company who have all the rights to them. And they tell you if you're putting a show on, you can't change anything. And also there's a chance, who knows how, how big a chance, but a chance that they'll send someone to come and watch it to confirm whether or not you have. So they have at least a few people going around the country to like the middle of Hull and places that you have no other business being watching these like miserable student productions, which I'm allowed to say because I was in plenty right, right. of them, of, of classics, just checking if anything has been changed from the script and then they'll just fine you. So at a professional level, yeah, it's yeah. it's incredibly strict. A, that must be an awful job. <laughs> yeah. To, to go God, like, can you imagine? Oh, I have to go to Slough today and actually yeah. watch the production. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm glad that knowing that Slough doesn't sound good is just a universal fact. You don't even have to be That's from the right. UK to realize that the word <laughs> Slough tells you all you need to know about Slough. <laughs> Bless um, you. Like we were saying at the beginning here, that is what the stage version is, and that's what mm-hmm. the original Broadway cast and even the 2009 revival, it is that exact text. However, in the movie version, we got to hear what the original lyrics were that Sondheim wanted to use. And in this one, like we were saying, also works a little bit better because now it's a call and response not to this new character, Rosalia, that doesn't really ever come back again. This is between Bernardo and Anita. 
and they kind of have this matching of wits going back and forth. So I'm going to just go through this, and we'll stop at occasionally when there's some different lines that we might want to to discuss. Sure. But Anita starts off by singing, Puerto Rico, my heart's devotion, let it sink back in the ocean. Always the hurricanes blowing, always the population growing, and the money owing, and the sunlight streaming, and the natives steaming. I like the island Manhattan. Smoke on your pipe and put that in. Uh, so some very similar language and stuff there. I think the opening line being, uh, you know, the, the bit of irony that it is, is just so great because it, it leans into what I was saying about the the kind of dreamlike uh, mm-hmm. positive sense of longing and yearning that the, the melody invokes. The fact that she starts with my heart's devotion. It's the most kind of self-consciously florid Mm-hmm. Um, language you could use only for that to just it's, it literally sinks below in the next line talking about it going below the ocean it's just yeah. such a huge turnaround it's great it's like the musical equivalent of Basie saying a joke and then like not at the, at the yeah. <laughs> yeah so the girls chime in and say I like to be in America okay by me in America everything free in America which then Anita fights back and says for a small fee in America Mm-hmm. Buying on credit is so nice, Anita says. Bernardo says, one look at us and they charge twice. Another girl says, I'll have my own washing machine. And then her boyfriend says, what will you have, though, to keep clean? Anita goes, skyscrapers bloom in America. Another girl says, Cadillacs zoom in America. Another girl says, industry boom in America. And all the boys say, 12 in a room in America. Which I think works a lot better. Like, I just mm-hmm. think it's such a weird thing for, for Anita to be like, uh, cars are amazing in that one lyric, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> for so yes, long I, at least. I do prefer this. Yeah. yeah, and this one it's more like, oh, like you like Cadillacs? Okay, that's fine. Like Cadillacs yeah. are cool, whatever. And then we have like kind of like the piling on of of that language. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anita goes, lots of new housing with more space. Bernardo says, lots of doors slamming in our face. Anita goes, I'll get a terrace apartment. And Bernardo says, better get rid of your accent, which is, uh, I think, a pretty pretty on-the-nose line, which I yeah. a- appreciate because it's I love the way he delivers it true. in the film yeah. as well. He yeah, does a yeah. kind of sort of attempt at an American accent that he probably yeah. can do very well. <laughs> sure, yeah, it's absolutely. Uh, Anita and some girls sing, life can be bright in America if you can fight in America. Life is all right in America if you're all white in America, which... I can I only imagine in the early 1960s when this movie came out that that line had to ruffle at least a few feathers. God, yeah, I would, I would hope so. And it's so clearly, I mean, there's no sense in which that isn't the absolute intent of it. What I love about the line is, well, two things. The simplicity, it's just a naked sentiment that he just puts out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives you so much more insight into Bernardo's character, into a character that could otherwise be kind of one-dimensional just the other you know the the arch nemesis figure it gives you a real insight into why he acts the way he does towards the jet but Mm -hmm. what i think is so clever about the place that the lyric falls in in the song is that we hear it and then we move on immediately it just falls in the middle of like at the end of that bit and before we know it the music's carried on with the same kind of pace and freneticism and it's it's one of those things where you're, as an audience member, hearing it for the first time, you're kind of watching and listening. There's so much going on in that number already. Yeah. When you hear a line like that, it, it's the kind of thing that you'd, 
be clapping along and then be like, oh God, what did he just say? Wait, wait, <laughs> did what? He, yeah. Did he really <laughs> just say that? Which I think works so well because it also suggests, you could argue, that, uh, you know, this, this racism essentially mm-hmm. is just part of day-to-day life. It's quotidian for them. It's, it's something that you just mention in a throwaway capacity because that is the same experience they have of prejudice. It just happens. It's just part of life. Yeah. It's a really, really cool thing to have put in, I think. Well, and it, it just throws back to the original song that opens up West Side Story when they are singing the Jet song, right? It, it's clearly like it is an us versus them mm-hmm. situation that's going on here. They're not explicitly saying in that song, we don't like them because they are Puerto Rican, but mm-hmm. it's definitely a, a great part of that. Like, they're not like us. We are yeah. we are us and they are them, and there's no way we're ever going to... Uh, there's going to be no makeup for this. There's going yeah. to be no way that we can be friends ever in this situation. And I think this is kind of a callback to that to be very explicit. Like, this is probably why. Yeah. <laughs> Whether you can verbalize it or not, there, there is a reason why you don't like us. Yeah, absolutely. And the whole song sort of um, develops an, a kind of moral stance on the two gangs that the show otherwise doesn't really do narratively, mm-hmm. where we see them as rivals, but really one of them is in a kind of dominant cultural position. And so the animosity that the Jets feel towards the Sharks just is racist for the most part, whereas the uh, inverse of that comes from a place of, of experience. Like they, they mm. talk about, joke about at some points, the, the experience of being a person of colour in 50s America. And it's, mm-hmm. it really contextualises their behaviour as a gang and at the same time shines a light on the kind of childish uh, squabbling nature of the Jets by comparison. They just don't seem, it's like they don't have anything else to do rather than that they're kind of having to band together because otherwise they're getting jumped on the street all the time. Mm-hmm. One thing I've been thinking about, because uh, I've been listening to the three versions kind of on repeat here the last few days, and I'm going to preface this by saying it's not a great argument. I have to think about it a little bit more. But mm-hmm. part of me thinks that Leonard Bernstein was either gay or bisexual. Uh, mm-hmm. Stephen Sondheim is a gay man as well. And while they're both white, I'm sure that they themselves, whether they were saying this explicitly or not, can sympathize with the idea that you have to be kind of this one way to conform to American society, whether it was in the Mm. 50s or even today to a certain extent. And I wonder if there's a way that they could empathize with those characters a little bit more and were able to write something like this, where it is very specifically like you have to be this way in order to to fully live your life and to fully feel like you're you're successful. So anyways, there's there's a part of that in me that thinks that there's something there. That's yeah. I would I would read more into that. That sounds like an interesting interpretation. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I guess any person who is marginalized and is looking at the idealized vision of, especially fifties America, which obviously at the time and in the setting where it is is not at all idealized. But with our rose tinted glasses, people when Trump says "Make America Great Again," most people are flashing back to this primrose right. cottage and picket fence view of the fifties that never existed or if it did was built off the back of all manner of murderous exploitation. But the idea that any marginalized or any difference from the norm is something that the people are aware of and can kind of internally celebrate whilst externally having to just keep under wraps and, and literally go about in a, in a gang to avoid anything happening. I think it definitely works for Mm -hmm. more than just, 
uh, that very specific view of of an outsider. Absolutely. I do want to go back to a time where I could just walk down the street, snap my fingers and break out into ballet dance. But, uh... I, I miss it. Yeah, I'm glad you said because <laughs> yeah. I, I've kept trying. I'd start the click and no one's joining. It just no feels silly. You have to stop after the first hour because you can't <laughs> That's right. Why is he still snapping? Uh, So Anita continues on by saying, here you are free and you have pride. Bernardo says, long as you stay on your own side. Anita goes, free to be anything you choose. And all the boys go, free to wait tables and shine shoes. Bernardo goes on, everywhere grime in America, organized crime in America, terrible time in America. And Anita shoots back, you forget I'm in America, <laughs> which I think is such a great little line. It's like, yeah, hey, it like is. not everything is awful. Like, I'm here too, buddy. Yeah. Uh, then they finish off by saying, Bernardo going, I think I go back to San Juan. Anita goes, I know a boat you can get on. Bernardo goes, everyone there will give big cheer. And Anita finishes off, everyone there will have moved here. Uh, so it's the same way that the... Uh, previous song like on the stage version ends but i think this is even more cutting in this case because she's saying to her to her boyfriend yeah absolutely it's a great it doesn't when you read it out like that it doesn't have the sense of finality and i think that's intentional it doesn't sound like the last lyric of a song it's not like Mm. being alive or something where you know right right the combination and even melodically it's not a big like final note it's just but that just adds to the kind of why everyone there will have moved here so you're you're kind of talking rubbish mate it's just it has a great kind of undercutting quality to it that i think works really well mm-hmm. so to to kind of put it out there here then it's something that we've been kind of discussing but it sounds about we both seem to prefer at least the movie version of, mm-hmm. of the song better at least lyrically we prefer the the movie version is there any of the three versions that you've listened to that you prefer the music to Hmm. I do really like the orchestration in the 2009 version. The Karen mm-hmm. and Karen Oliver's voice is is really good as well. Yeah. So I'm I'm a big fan of that. But I do I just wonder about the decision to I don't know if it was a rights thing. So I guess I can't really comment because maybe they were forced. I know we had the same thing with Follies was brought mm-hmm. back in London recently, and they decided to do a kind of hybrid of the original US version without an interval. And then some of the elements from the London revival that added new songs, but left out my favorite one, which is A Country House, which is just a great mm-hmm. song. Right. Um, so I know there are sometimes uh, like third party constraints on what you can and can't do. But I don't know as a director why looking at that whole piece, you wouldn't opt for the movie version on stage. Because I think it works well because you get more kind of buoyant dance numbers. So it works visually. I think it serves the story so much more and it also removes the kind of bickery antagonistic quality that I don't think fits with the rest of Anita's character at all. And it makes her a character who just cares about, like you said before, home and family and, and doing the right thing for her, the people in her life with the stage version. It just takes on this kind of, uh, I guess it feels less sincere because there's less stakes in the argument or fewer stakes, I suppose. Yeah. So it's because it's just a, a character we have no connection to as an audience and we have no particular reason to believe Anita has a connection to. And it, the whole thing just doesn't land for me in the same way. But yeah. um, like I said, perhaps there was some external reason for it. One thing I'd ask you though, is that yeah. in the three different versions, do you feel like given the lyric and the, 
the setting, I suppose, and the particular orchestration, do you think the song pushes you towards empathizing more with one party than the other? Or do you think the song is, do you think there is a sense of like, well, this person wins the song at the end, whether it's Anita, Rosalie or Bernardo? Yeah, that's very fascinating because that's actually the next question I have written down in my document. Ah. Uh, So great minds think alike, I suppose. (laughs) I am curious to know your answer to this, but for, for, for me, I think that what we are supposed to do is that we are supposed to side with Anita. Mm-hmm. In, in um, on both versions, whether on the stage or in the film, I think she is shown to be this character that kind of understands everything that's going on. She she knows about Marie and Tony. She yeah. uh, seems to be wise. She is definitely the foil. Uh, one of our other guests kind of put it in the academic term is that you have essentially the, the, the virgin and the whore dynamic going on is what they right. call it in academic circles. And Anita kind of falls into what they call the whore stereotype uh, in, but she's in terms she's, of like worldliness within worldliness yeah space. um yeah, yeah i, I yeah <laughs> we can get into sexual politics and stuff which is <laughs> another topic about why they want to uh, characterize it that way but she's mm. she's shown to be that she knows what she's talking about and that she doesn't just say things on a whim necessarily and i think that sondheim even writes about that here in the book a little bit about that the stage version shows her to be a bit of like a, a cracking wise like jokester but in mm-hmm. the movie version she's shown to be no like this is the reality that's going on here and i'm just as forceful as any of the main characters are in this piece i, I was just gonna say there's also something to the dynamic of it being a woman argue, holding her own and mm-hmm. potentially dominating the argument of the strongest man in in the narrative in in some senses at least right he's like the big guy on on that side of things and the fact that she's shown to be able to kind of out out speak out sing uh everything that he throws at her adds something to both of their characters i think and it creates a picture of their relationship that you otherwise don't get yeah and i would argue a little bit about the somewhat failing of West Side Story uh, as far as an entire piece, as much as I, I really adore the the musical as a whole, mm-hmm. is that the Maria character always feels like is underwritten to, to me yeah. to, to a large degree. It's like we don't really get to know much about her in Act One other than, you know, she's Bernardo's uh, sister. She's come here. She meets Tony. She falls in love. We, get, we understand that, but we don't really get to know much about her and in yeah. her background necessarily a little bit in act two but like not not as much as we really i think understand through this song and others oh okay i get where anita is coming from i see the mm-hmm. hardship she's gone through at least something like that has been given to us where uh, the maria character uh not so much uh, yeah in, in, she doesn't get opinion. her own rationale mm-hmm. for in the same way that tony does with something's coming right you just don't yeah. have that analog which has always struck me as as lacking potentially so yeah uh, but uh, do you do you fall on on a, a different side or do you think we're supposed to be supportive of anita here in this case well i think uh whatever happens rosalie always loses the song <laughs> she's right. never yeah, no, right true. but yeah. i don't i don't know that i think what the movie version suggests to me is that we want to believe anita but we know in our heart of hearts that pretty much everything Bernardo is saying is a hundred percent accurate as well. Mm-hmm. So I think the only reason, the only sense in which she wins is through the kind of tenacity and also the fact that you could read the end of the song in terms of the lyric, not the actual song, which continues a little more 
I think there's a bit more dancing after that, perhaps. Yeah. As they're kind of like, ha- they've had this argument before. It gets to a certain point. They just wrap it up and like nothing's really solved. So I don't get a conclusive sense of right and wrong from from the discussion that they have. But I do get the sense that it's about one person. Anita is someone with aspiration and with an optimistic, albeit very pragmatic outlook. She's not uh, she's not unaware of you know the problems that Bernardo talks about. But I think we choose to side with her and it's the choice that's kind of more important because she's the optimist to his pessimist. He thinks there's nothing that can be done and she thinks, as do Tony and Maria, and it's kind of the theme yeah, that there is yeah. a chance for, for unity. So I think we choose to side with Anita, but the song leaves it to me to make that decision. That's how I read it. That's good. I can I can agree with that. <laughs> You've convinced me. <laughs> oh, excellent. Uh, well, Isaac, thank you so much for, for joining me here today. This has been a really great talk, I think, to thank unpack this, uh, this very, very good song that is inside is. of West Side Story. If people wanted to find you on the internet, follow you and all the things that you do, how could they do that? Oh, very easily. You can find me at Isaac BD on Twitter and just about everywhere else. Um, like you mentioned at the top, I have a show that I do with my friend and housemate called That's a Shame. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for everyone who's interested in Sondheim because it's not very we do talk about Sondheim every so often but it's not quite the same genre it's just people chatting kind of comedy vibes but Mm -hmm. do check that out as well and yeah other than that that's Isaac BD is the place to go and thank you very much for for having me I can't tell you how excited I was when I saw your post oh I never mentioned as well oh that's right we did my Sondheim claim to fame guys I'm the moderator of the Sondheim forum on Reddit Oh, are you really? I did not know that. Becoming one of, I think it's like one of the most active places to talk about Sondheim with other fans, addicts, however you want to describe them. We've got like 600 people on there and there's always new stuff. So check that out, reddit.com slash r slash Sondheim. Yeah. When I saw your post there, I was like over the moon that someone is doing this project that I want to just listen to. I can't believe that we went this entire time without meeting. That's how we actually met yes. up with one another. Is I made a post on that subreddit, which I've been part of for the last few months, and got a bunch of feedback. So I'm I'm doing a few interviews with with members there and yeah, and with you. Very so, very smart people then. So uh, yeah, this is gonna this is gonna be very exciting. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. Thank you again, Isaac. Thanks for listening. Anybody who is listening from London, if you can go and see the new version of Company, which has switched the genders of the main characters, please let me know how it is. I really wish I could be there. It seems CBS has erased the video that Isaac mentioned of Bill Murray on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, so just imagine it. It's that good. However, I have included a link to a video from that same appearance in the show notes to this episode. Also, and this is kind of depressing, Since we recorded, the estimated number of casualties seems to be around 5,000 for Hurricane Maria. I have left a link to an article and some suggested charities that you can donate to also in the show notes. A big thanks to the always great Chris Taniguchi, who designed the podcast artwork, and to Nick Driscoll for composing our theme music. We'll be back again next week, but for now, we've reached the end of our episode. Yes, I know. Goodbye for now. (laughs) 